0: This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the eighth podcast for Chapter 1 of A Student's Guide to Maxwell's Equations. This one deals with the electric flux through a closed surface, and this section begins on page 13. If you were tracking the earlier points about the meaning of a vector field and the dot product of that vector field with the unit normal vector and the integral of that quantity over a surface, you probably already understand that the integral of E dot dA that appears on the left side of Gauss's Law for Electric Fields describes the flux of the vector electric field through a closed surface. As you probably remember, there are a number of ways to calculate the flux of a vector field. If you happen to have a very simple situation in which the field is uniform over the surface and everywhere perpendicular to the surface, you can use an equation like 1.9 on page 13, which says phi sub e, the electric flux, is simply the product of the magnitude of the electric field and the surface area. If the situation is not quite so simple and e is not perpendicular to the surface, but it is uniform over the surface, then you can use equation 1.10, which says phi sub e is equal to e dot n hat, that is the component of the electric field perpendicular to the surface, times the surface area. And in the most general case, you can use equation 1.11, which says the electric flux is the integral over the surface of e dot n hat dA. In that case, e can vary over the surface, and it can be at a variable angle to the surface. One thing to make note of is that any of these three equations can indicate the units that electric flux must have since it's the product of a field magnitude and a surface area. We know field is newtons per coulomb, or volts per meter. Multiplying that by a surface area, which is square meters in the SI system, we get units that are either newtons meters squared over coulombs, or more commonly, volts times meters. In the previous module, talking about the flux of a vector field, an analogy with flow of a fluid through a permeable membrane was used, and I want to make sure that you don't carry that analogy too far and think that the electrostatic field is somehow moving through a surface or that it's the product of a density and a velocity. That's not true. We use the analogy to try to understand the relationships between quantities, not to learn about quantities such as the electric field themselves. You should not think of the electric flux as the physical movement of anything. So if you shouldn't think of it as the movement of something through a membrane, what should you think of it as? I think it helps to remember how we represent electric fields. One way to do that is with field lines. It's the density of those field lines. That is, the number of field lines per square meter on a surface perpendicular to the lines that determines the strength of the field. So if the field strength is the number of lines per square meter, and we multiply that by the surface area in square meters, the quantity we get, the electric flux, must in some way be proportional to the number of field lines penetrating that surface. That's the best way to think about electric flux. It's written this way at the bottom of page 13. Electric flux phi sub e is defined as the number of field lines penetrating a surface. Of course, there are a few things to keep in mind when you use this definition. One is, field lines are only a representation of the field. The field is actually continuous in space. It does not only exist where the lines are drawn. And it's up to you how many field lines you choose to employ to represent a certain strength of field. Of course, once you've established the number of field lines, you must be consistent. That is, in that same drawing, if you're going to represent a field that's twice as strong, you need to draw twice as many field lines per unit area. The other thing to bear in mind is that when we talk about a vector field penetrating a surface, we have to consider the direction of that penetration. That may not seem very important when you're dealing with an open surface, because after all, you can draw n hat in either direction on an open surface. But when you're dealing with a closed surface, n-hat has a specific direction. That is, it's normal to the surface, and it points away from the enclosed volume. It points towards the outside of the surface, not the inside. And if that's the direction of n-hat, then we have to bear in mind that when we dot our vector field into it, if the angle between the field and n-hat is less than 90 degrees, we're going to get a positive answer because the cosine of an angle less than 90 is positive. But if the n hat is going in the opposite direction of our vector field, then the angle between n hat and the field is between 90 and 180 degrees, and the cosine of those angles is negative. So if the vector field is parallel to n hat, that means we're going to have a positive value for flux, whereas if the component is anti-parallel to n hat, then we're going to have a negative flux, and that becomes very important when we're considering closed surfaces. To see that, just consider the three cases shown on the top of page 14 in figure 1.8. In the A part of the figure, there's a closed surface in the shape of a cube. There are a number of vector field lines in the region, some of which miss the box entirely, some of which penetrate it. But given what we just said about positive and negative flux, it's pretty clear that the direction of n hat is going to be important here. Think about the unit normals for these surfaces. The unit normal for the top of the box is going to be pointing up, for the right side pointing to the right, for the bottom pointing down, for the left side pointing to the left. For the side closest to us, the unit normal is going to be coming out of the page. So when you think about the dot product between these field lines and those normals, you should see that the field lines entering the box are going to be at an angle somewhere between 90 and 180 degrees. and That's going to give negative flux. Whereas for the part of the field line coming out of the box, the angle between the unit normal and the field line is going to be between 0 and 90 degrees. and Those are going to be positive flux. So in the case of the box shown in the A part of the figure, there's zero net flux. There are field lines penetrating the surface, but there are two going in and two coming out. And the inward flux is going to exactly cancel the outward flux, because the inward flux is negative and the outward flux is positive. Now consider the B part of the figure. There, the same two lines are penetrating the box. Those two lines originate and terminate somewhere outside the box. But there's also another group of six lines that originate inside the box, And what's the flux of those going to be? Again, remembering that n-hat through the top surface points straight up, the dot product between those lines and the unit normal for the top surface is going to be positive. So we're going to have a net positive flux for this closed surface due to those field lines that originate within the box. Now look at the C part of the figure. Here we have another set of field lines that terminate inside the box. Once again, when we think about the unit normal for that top surface, it's going to be pointing straight up. These field lines are at an angle that's somewhere between 90 and 180 degrees. or are anti-parallel or close to it, to that unit normal. So therefore, they're going to represent negative flux. That means that the net flux in this case is less than zero. And the reason for that is because we have field lines terminating within the box. So the bottom line on all this is if the lines originate and terminate outside the box they don't contribute anything to the net flux through that box if they originate within the box then they contribute positive flux through the surface and if they terminate within the box they contribute negative flux over that surface thus you can say any closed surface with positive net flux over it must contain a source of field lines and any closed surface with negative net flux must contain a sink or a drain for field lines. This becomes extremely important for the electrostatic field when you consider what are the sources and what are the termination points for electrostatic field lines. As we said much earlier in this chapter, electrostatic field lines originate on positive charge and terminate on negative charge. So therefore, if you run into a closed surface and it has net positive electric flux, it must contain a source of electrostatic field lines, which means it must contain positive charge. And if that closed surface has net negative flux, it must contain a sink for electrostatic field lines, which means it must contain negative charge. If there are equal amounts of positive and negative charge inside that box, the outward flux due to the positive charge and the inward flux due to the negative charge will cancel each other, and there will be zero net flux through that closed surface. But if the charge is unbalanced, if there's more positive or more negative, then you will have a net flux through that surface. And once you understand that, you understand Gauss's law for electric fields. The electric flux through a closed surface is directly proportional to the charge contained within that surface.